0: It's Friday, and you know what that means. It's time for the Weekly News Recap, where three outstanding local journalists help us make sense of the week's events.
1: It was the city's most violent
2: Memorial Day weekend in five years.
1: We raced to take guns off the street because every gun, every single one taken off the street is is a Life saved.
0: We're learning more about the condition of a Chicago police officer after she was shot in West Inglewood
1: yesterday. Paul Vallis formally announced this morning that he's running for Chicago mayor in 2023. Sixth Ward Alderman Roderick Sawyer says he'll give up his city council seat to jump into the race. He becomes the fifth candidate to run against Mayor Lori Lightfoot.
0: Here with their analysis is Chicago Tribune investigative reporter Ray Long. Now, Ray's also the author of The House That Madigan Built, the record run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. Ray, good to have you here. Good to meet you. Good to be here. Good to be here. Also with us is Alex Nitkin, editor and city hall reporter for The Daily Line. Welcome back, Alex. Thank you, and happy National Donut Day to
1: everyone. I hope you've been celebrating <laughs> with all the appropriate seriousness. I days. am hungry now.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And WBEZ investigative reporter Dan Mehalopoulos. Hey, Dan.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: I want to give a special shout out, too, to folks watching us. They're uh, watching us break down the week's news live right now on the WBEZ Facebook and WBEZ YouTube pages. So you can also watch the live stream on Reset's Facebook page as well. So hi, guys. All right, Alex, let's get to it. Um, we had two more candidates jump into the mayoral race this week. Let's start with yesterday's announcement. Tell us about Alderman Rod Sawyer of Chicago 6th Ward.
2: Yeah, Rod Sawyer, he's the son of Eugene Sawyer, who was mayor of Chicago from 1987 to 89. He was elected in 2011 as uh, as alderman of the 6th Ward, which includes parts of Englewood, Chatham, and Grand Crossing, home of Dat Donut, by the way, one of my favorite donut places in the city. Um, he's former chair of the City Council Aldermanic Black Caucus, current chair of the City Council's Health and Human Relations Committee. Um, I would say he's he's been a pretty um, independent voice and a leader in the City Council on issues of police accountability and criminal justice, but otherwise has really been a pretty loyal foot soldier for Mayor Lightfoot's uh, legislative agenda, at least, you know, in public. Um, and yeah, for the, at least the past couple months, he's been privately telling people, hey, I'm thinking about kicking my my hat into the ring and um, taking a run for mayor. And uh, this week he um, sat down with with Fran Spielman at The Sun-Times and said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it, basically saying a lot of the same kinds of things we've been hearing from these other candidates that Mayor Lori Lightfoot um, Just doesn't work well with others. She's not a coalition builder. She struggles to really bring people together. And it seemed like that was what he was leaning on with his, you know, years of experience, community relations, um, still pretty light on specifics. We'll have to wait more for his actual platform.
0: Over to you, Ray. Former Chicago Public School CEO Paul Vallis also announced that he's running for mayor again Give us a refresher. Who is he and, and what's he best known for? Sasha,
1: he's been around for a long time. Uh, he, I can remember when he was in the state uh, legislative office of economic, uh, some kind of economic development office down yeah. there. And he was a master at numbers and crunching numbers and looking at at uh, things and really was able to give the legislature uh, a balance of uh, Fighting with the governor's office when they were talking about numbers. Flash forward, of course, to where he is well known in Chicago, where he was CEO of public schools. And he was brought in as a manager. He was also brought in when the legislature changed a lot of the laws so that they could have more flexibility there. And then he, of course, has run for uh, governor. He's run for mayor. He's run for lieutenant governor. And he hasn't hit on any of those now. But if he's Offering himself up as a manager, somebody who can get the city's act together.
0: Yeah. Well, Alex, while all these candidates are jumping into the race, Mayor Lightfoot still hasn't even officially announced her re election bid, but it looks like that might soon change, right?
2: That's right. This is for a long time has been the most unofficial official story <laughs> in Chicago politics, which is that yes, this mayor is running or won't for she? right. Yeah. Um yes, she's running for re election. Um yes, we've it's never really been in doubt. She told us uh this week that she is really finally actually going to have a super serious campaign kickoff next week i think tuesday is what we're hearing um i will also repeat the same thing that i said in this chair 6 weeks ago when we were talking about mike quigley which is that obviously the mayoral race the mayoral race is incredibly important it's also eight months away. There are a lot of there are two very important elections before that. So I would just, you know, tell people, if you wanted to completely tune out, you're going to hear a lot about the mayoral race in the next couple months. Uh, but you could just as easily come back in in September, read up and still be a very informed voter.
0: Dan, who's her strongest challenger at this point?
3: Uh, I don't think that anyone's emerged yet as a, as a truly formidable challenger. Uh, you look at Rod Sawyer. I think he went to a runoff just to get reelected as alderman last time. All due respect to him and what he might put together, but has apparently not put together yet. Paul Vallis, 5% or so uh, in 2019, which was good for ninth in a field of 14. Uh, again, we don't see uh, what he's put together yet or or any significant fundraising. But the mayor seems weak. And the goal is not to say, well, I'm going to beat her outright. The goal is to try to get her in this system where you need 50% plus one vote. The goal is to get her into a runoff. Everybody knows that once an incumbent gets into a runoff, um, there's a, probably a 50-50 chance historically that they'll lose, that a lot of the people that voted for the others uh, who may be eliminated and not are not in the top two um, will coalesce yeah. against the incumbent So that's really the big question is whether there are enough candidates. And right now what's really ominous for the mayor is, and it's very odd for an incumbent in Chicago at least, there are a lot of candidates. It's a growing field.
0: It is. Ray, can anyone beat Lightfoot?
1: Well, at this point she's got the best chance of getting reelected than the others of beating her. But um, they can rise up and... Anything could happen. You know, Mm -hmm. think about how we uh, uh, saw what happened to Rahm Emanuel when the Laquan McDonald issue blew up, and then he was shortly thereafter out of the race. So there can be all kinds of things over eight months here that can really make a difference. Same thing happened last time, Sasha. Right.
0: Something that all these candidates are talking about is crime, right? And we've had several recent violent incidents here in in, uh, the city including the brazen shooting of a police officer on Wednesday night. Give us the details, Dan.
3: Yeah, that was a 28-year-old with an arrest record uh, for a gun charge that was dropped, who is a suspect, uh, fired allegedly on a marked car on the south side. And that officer, whose name hasn't been released, is in uh, serious condition last we heard. But, you know, the reason the gun charge was dropped, though, was that this uh, suspect gun owner, um, was found with a handgun in 2020, but he had a FOID card and he had a concealed carry license, uh, and that was that was back in, in 2020 at a traffic stop where they found a handgun in his car. So I guess some people will try to say that this is some example of uh, the, the, the system uh, letting somebody off uh, for something that they did in the past, and then uh, they go on to do something allegedly horrible, but, you know... He was taking advantage, apparently, of the laws that allow for gun ownership.
0: Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are going behind the headlines on the Weekly News Recap with WBEZ investigative reporter Dan Mahalopoulos, Alex Nitkin, who's editor and city hall reporter for The Daily Line, and Chicago Tribune investigative reporter Ray Long. And a reminder, you can now watch the Weekly News Recap live on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. You can also check out the video live stream right now on Reset's Facebook page. Chicago experienced its most violent Memorial Day weekend in five years. Nine people were killed. More than 50 were shot. But Police Superintendent David Brown wanted to remind everyone that they also made progress in seizing guns over the weekend. Let's listen.
1: 250 guns taken off the streets of Chicago over three days. 75 guns in one day. We're washing guns here in, in every major city. It's past time they could get some significant real gun reform in this country.
0: Alex, I want to hear from both you and Ray on this. But first, uh, all the mayoral challengers, they, they've said that they would get rid of Superintendent Brown. Does Mayor Lightfoot seem to be committed to him?
2: Absolutely, she does. She's asked about this repeatedly in, in press conferences. Do you still stand behind Superintendent Brown amid all the violence? And without hesitating, she says, yes, absolutely I do. This was someone she was really proud to bring on back mm-hmm. in, in spring 2020, right, as the pandemic was hitting. Um, and she still, for better or worse, has has a lot of faith in him. Um, So, frankly, it it seems pretty easy as a mayoral candidate to say, yes, that's a quick, decisive action that I would take is get rid of the superintendent. Um, Whether that would be something that really, you know, puts an end or at least gets a handle on some of these horrifying headlines that we see is a different story.
0: How big of a role do you think crime is going to play in this race?
1: Oh, it's big. It's really big um, because people um, have a palpable feeling that there is – Uh, a lack of safety around here. And so uh, it feels more so than it has in past years. And uh, I can't imagine that it's not going to be the centerpiece of all things that they talk about.
0: Dan, I want to stick with the topic of mayoral support. Uh, Newly released video recordings, they show that former Chicago Park District Board President Avis Lavelle said she resigned to take pressure off of Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, This is part of that lifeguard scandal that you first uncovered in your reporting. What else did the recordings tell us?
3: Yeah, these recordings, we owe them uh, the existence of them in the public sphere to uh, an activist named uh, Edgar Powell, who um, noticed that they should not have been in closed session at the Park District Board meeting in November. So what happened was Avis Lavelle resigns, says, I apologize for the culture of abuse. I take responsibility. Well, a few minutes before that, when she thought that we, no, none no of us would listening. ever hear her and, and the, the public was um, closed from, uh, from attending that meeting and watching it on Zoom, she's saying that she was a scapegoat for it, that she was unfairly criticized, that she's a head on a pike in the public square, that she wanted to stay on, but she didn't think the mayor wanted her to be a, quote, albatross around her neck. And uh, so she sort of, if I can add one more uh, metaphor to all the ones that Avis Lavelle gave us, she fell on her sword or went under the bus for the mayor. And um, and that that is definitely a different uh, spin than than she was giving publicly, uh, which was more contrite, obviously, yeah. with regards to the dozens of women who allege that they were harassed, uh, abused or or even assaulted at the beaches and pools of the city of Chicago Park District.
0: Well, speaking of the beaches and pools, we've also been hearing about lifeguard shortages. So does it seem like they'll all be open this summer?
3: We don't know yet, um, but what I have heard is obviously the beaches are open already, including North Avenue Beach by here and Oak Street Beach, but... Uh, The pools are supposed to open on June 24th, and uh, it's been very hard to get information from the Park District. They did a marketing campaign. They've offered $500 basically signing bonuses to people to become lifeguards. But when I extracted some information from them only through the Freedom of Information Act that they were reluctantly giving me, Mm -hmm. there there were more openings than there were applicants. And who knows how many of those applicants were actually qualified. So if I had to bet... It seems unlikely that there'll be enough lifeguards to open the pools in the the city of Chicago, at least all of them.
0: Alex, it's no secret Chicago's got this history of political corruption, right? We've talked about it several times here uh, on the the recap. Alderwoman Michelle Smith, who chairs the City Council's Committee on Ethics and Government Oversight, she's been working on an ethics reform package. But what happened with that this week?
2: Uh, Last week it was... It hit another roadblock. It was—this is—yeah, so Alderman Michelle Smith, she's generally an ally of the mayor. She's the chair of the Ethics Committee, like you said. In the April city council meeting, she introduced this ethics package that she's been working on for a while, basically tightening up a lot of existing um, ethics rules, uh, widening sort of uh, uh, nepotism rules so that people would be prevented from, you know, using personal relationships with aldermen to try to advance some city business, raising fines for violations— Um, making it – removing the the privilege, this unique privilege that former aldermen have of walking the floor of the city council to lobby their former colleagues. She came out with this, and um, Rod Sawyer actually, uh, for reasons we're still not entirely sure why – um, did something called a deferred uh, – he sent it to the Rules Committee. He sort of sidetracked it. And then it was rescued from the Rules Committee as a way to sort of put it back on track. And then two other aldermen, um, George Cardenas and, and Michael Scott, also allies of the mayor, did a parliamentary move to um, delay it by another month. Mm-hmm. And Alderwoman Smith, the sponsor of this uh, ordinance, is convinced and actually was told that the mayor asked them to do this. Um, mm-hmm. The mayor has now asked been twice. been asked twice why – you know, what her stance is on this ethics. Yeah, why isn't she supporting it? Uh, Because she hasn't read it. She doesn't know what's in it. Um, uh, That's what she said twice on record when asked about it in the past week. This is, I will say, a public document that has been, it's, I think, nine pages long. Um, It has been in the public record, was introduced to the city council six weeks ago. Um, Why the mayor is, is sort of pleading ignorance, saying she doesn't know anything about it, is frankly a little confusing also because in the next breath she said, I've been in lots of conversations with Alderman Smith about this. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to sort of, you know, clearly Alderman Smith is very frustrated. This is another example of a, a very strained relationship that th- this mayor now has with a city council ally. So we'll be watching to see what happens next.
0: All right, Alex, back to you. Early voting for the June primary. That's underway already here in Chicago but only at the Chicago Board of Elections downtown super site in The Loop. So can you just tell us about the super site, first of all?
2: Yep. It's at 191 North Clark, right downtown. There has been a super site the last couple of elections. You folks may remember going there, especially this early in the election season. It's going to be this big, spacious, airy, open place with lots of people waiting to help you and direct you to different machines. At this point, it's probably going to be very, very easy and quick. Can't imagine that there are a lot of lines. Um, That is, yeah, available for anyone who wants to vote early. Uh, You can also, starting on June 13th, we're going to have those ward-by-ward sites, the early voting sites. Yeah. Um, You can look all of this up, by the way, on chicagoelections.gov. Uh, where you can also register, you can apply to uh, vote by mail, which I actually did this morning. It's super easy. It takes like three seconds. Cool. Um, And uh, yeah, lots of different ways to vote. Um, ChicagoElections.gov. When
0: when will early voting at all sites across the city be up and running? June 13th. June 13th. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's take a look at that June primary. One of the races that's getting the most attention is the Republican gubernatorial race race. Ray, get us up to speed on that. Yeah,
1: it's crazy, crazy, of course. There's a lot of money here, crazy money, uh, being thrown into that. Uh, we've got Ken Griffin uh, backing uh, Richard Irvin with $50 million. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, another billionaire, Dick Uline, who is also backing uh, Darren Bailey with multi-million dollars that are going up every day, too. And so uh, we've got those two out there as the two potential front runners, if you will, the best we can tell. There's not a lot of polling, but they they are two that are collecting a lot of, uh, of backing. Darren Bailey downstate.
0: And what are the main messages that these two front runners are, are, are trying to get across in, in these ads that I can't stop seeing <laughs> and these appearances?
1: Yes. Uh, well, Darren Bailey is, is trying to paint himself as a uh, true conservative, a real conservative on abortion on guns and all the kinds of things that conservatives like. And, uh, uh, Richard Irvin is trying to paint himself as a guy who can fight crime and a guy who can, can get out ahead. And he's, uh, he, 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 and the others have all picked up on this idea of parental notice that, uh, has been removed from, uh, the restrictions where minors could not, um, Uh, get an abortion without some notification to a parent or a guardian. And so uh, they've all been able to seize upon that. But Irvin has so far dodged on how he would uh, feel about uh, Roe versus Wade if it were overturned, as the leaked uh, Supreme Court uh, uh, opinion has has shown. This is a, a draft opinion, of course. But he keeps dodging that. Uh, The other opponents are uh, heavily uh, opposed to abortion. And so we've got big money being thrown around. We've got Democrats, including uh, Pritzker, throwing money into uh, ads that help Darren Bailey because Mm -hmm. it's obvious that he views Bailey as the person who he'd rather run against rather than Irvin and Griffin, who is, uh, you know, always... Uh, going uh, uh, like the bat into battle against Pritzker. And uh, those two uh, are going to come down to the wire here. Yeah. At least that's the way it looks right now.
0: Sounds fun. Dan, have you been seeing the uh, campaign ads?
1: Yeah, they're they're
3: ubiquitous. They're everywhere with all that kind of money getting thrown around. And by the way, Ken Griffin was just uh, identified as the biggest donor in this cycle nationally in the Republican circles, richest man in Illinois, top donor also to Ron DeSantis, uh, the Florida Interesting. Republican governor.
0: Ray, you, you had a story this week in the Tribune about um, Irvin and two of his aides opening a business that got contracts from uh, the city of Aurora.
1: Yeah, what happened was, um, the way, why we wrote about this is because it, it's kind of complicated, but it's very simple. Um, Irvin has a uh, a uh, person who is so close to him, he considers him a stepbrother. It's kind of a shirt tail relative uh, association. And he also, the the uh, uh, stepbrother, is a, an employee. He's the top tech information guy at the city of Aurora working yeah. for the mayor. So they got together with two other guys, two other guys from Virginia, to form a corporation that would be kind of a data or consulting firm, but it never really got off the ground. The mayor says that it was to be something in place in case he didn't win re-election to mayor of Aurora. But um, it raises all kinds of potential conflicts of interest. One is, should you be in a relationship uh, with uh, somebody that close to you Mm -hmm. and a city employee? And then the kicker is that the two guys that were from Virginia Um, eventually got out of that arrangement, and then they ended up with a $15,000 contract for data Mm -hmm. analysis at the city of Aurora.
0: There's also a hotly contested race to uh, replace longtime Southside Congressman Bobby Rush. Let's hear some uh, of of the candidates who are running. I'm Karen Norrington-Reeves. My name is Michael Thompson.
2: Good evening, everyone. My name is Dr. Amina Matthews. Hello, my name is Jonathan Jackson. My name is Kirby Bergens. I am a candidate for U.S. Congress in Illinois 1st Congressional District. I am a science teacher, and I am the only openly gay candidate.
0: There are 21 candidates, Alex. Who are the front runners here?
2: Oh, man, it's so hard to say, even. It's 17 Democrats, four Republicans, although we can pretty much, you know, it's a deep blue district, so we can—whoever wins the primaries— uh, we can expect to become the next congressman uh, or congressperson, I should say. This is the, yeah, the first congressional district, the, this seat of black political power in Chicago going back to, you know, 1928, Oscar DePriest, and now um, Bobby Rush, who has been in that seat since 1993, is stepping down. And he endorsed Karen Norrington Reeves, who we heard from one of those voices there. She's the former CEO of the nonprofit um, Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership. So that immediately, you know, rockets her into frontrunner runner status. Another... You know some of the big names that get uh, thrown around or are le- leading in fundraising are Alderwoman Pat Dowell of the Third Ward in Chicago. You know you'll see signs for her all over the place uh, in in you know her own her own ward uh, and all around the district, which stretches pretty much from the South Loop all the way down to Kankakee South. You know the city, South Side, South suburbs, and and um, and beyond. Uh, Jonathan Jackson, um, who I think we also heard from, the son of the Reverend Jesse Jackson, mm-hmm. um, Senator Jack- State Senator Jackie Collins, uh, Jonathan Swain, who is a former commissioner at the sh- uh, Chicago Board of Election Commissioners. So um, many. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it many. goes on and on and, and on. it goes on. And it's just, it's a 17-way free-for-all, which really raises the serious possibility that, you know, someone will win this with 11% of the vote.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines on the weekly news recap with WBEZ investigative reporter Dan Mehalopoulos, Alex Nitkin, who's editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line, and Chicago Tribune investigative reporter Ray Long. A reminder, you can watch the recap live right now on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. Ray, I want to get back to something you touched on earlier, some other statewide news, which is uh, that as of Wednesday, minors under 18 are able to get abortions without having to notify a parent. Governor Pritzker's really positioning himself right now, it seems, as this staunch defender of women's rights to an abortion. Right. Isn't
1: he? All out. All out. Yeah. He's making no doubt about that, and he tries to make that point as much as he can. Uh, it's interesting, too, because this is not like uh, an issue that is Roe versus Wade, uh, but parental notification is one that people have to stop and think about. Do you want your child to have an abortion as a minor without you knowing about it. But on the flip side, there are some very sensitive issues that have to be considered here too. And that's why in that law, there was an opportunity for, uh, young women to go to a judge and say, look, there have been instances that I've been abused or, you know, really bad scenes that, uh, give them some leeway to go around that well all of those now uh, as a pritzker's bill signing this week uh, have been eliminated eliminated and that of course has raised the issue of you know you have to be 21 to get cigarettes in this state why is it such a uh, free-for-all for uh, abortions here
0: yeah Harder to vote and you know get cigarettes and all of that, but yeah. Uh, Dan, switching gears. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul he's found he's filed a, a the state's first ever hate crime lawsuit. What are the details?
3: Yeah, the details are are pretty um, revolting. Actually, they come from Carroll County, which is in uh, northwestern Illinois. About uh, I looked on uh, the uh, mapping software uh, this morning. 140 miles from where we're at here in studio at Navy Pier. Uh, so about two and a half hour drive. It involves uh, it was a really richly reported uh, story by Andy Grimm in our partner newspaper, The Sun Times. Uh, involves a 67 year old woman named Cheryl Hampton and her 45 year old son Chad. They had a neighbor, a retiree from Chicago, a black man who moved next door to them in uh, Savannah, Illinois, and they got into some sort of dispute over a fence, according to the local a constabulary out in Carroll County. And they, Cheryl and Chad Hampton displayed a mannequin dangling from a noose painted black. Mannequin was not originally black chains around the wrist and waist. Mm. When they were asked to take it down by the police, they put up a Confederate flag, uh, wrote the N word on their house uh, in the direction of that neighbor. FBI didn't take the case The local uh, charges did not seem to deter them. So now we have this 2018 law that the AG is putting into use for the first time, which could include fines of up to $25,000 stemming from this incident in the summer of 2020 right here in the land of Lincoln.
0: That's sad. Uh, just a few seconds here, Dan, but I do want to touch on this. Illinois issued uh 48 new craft marijuana license as well. Uh, those are licensed for smaller producers, um, limiting them to 5,000 square feet of, of growing space. Who would the state give the licenses to?
3: So they gave it to uh, what they call social equity applicants um, in an effort to uh, diversify the, the the group of people that are profiting off of the legalization of marijuana. Of those 48, uh, 20 are black-owned applicants and companies, and four of them are uh, Latino-owned.
0: Still some criticism, then, about how these licenses are, are being awarded, it sounds like.
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's been covered extensively, I know, on this program, and uh, I guess this is one way Uh, that they're trying to alleviate the problem, although they had said that they would issue more licenses right now. And Mm. there's always some uh, devil in the details with this process, it seems like.
0: That's WBEZ investigative reporter Dan Mehalopoulos, Alex Nitkin, editor and city hall reporter for The Daily Line, and Chicago Tribune investigative reporter Ray Long. Thank you all. Have a great weekend.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.